uh, as we hear your word. I pray that you would um, bless me as I as I preach. Help me to say nothing that that would be outside of your will, and, and help me to speak in a way that's honoring to your your word and, and your uh, plan for our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke 12 um, today. This will be uh, 13 to 21. And um, before I start with this, um, I, I wanted to share a story. When I worked at the Children's Home, in the last year I was there, we, uh, we had this kid in who was um, scary, right? I mean, actually, I, I made friends with him, but, but he, was, he was from the age of, of six. He was in, in mental health placements, and he'd been in, like, the state hospital and jail several times. He was, he was a scary kid, right? And he was, he was bigger than me, which also made him scary, because nobody should ever be bigger than me. Um, and and uh, he came along, and, and the first week he was there, the, uh, they weren't prepared for him. And they said, well, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we'll have the chaplain spend all week with him. And so I, I was there when this kid got up in the morning. I was there when he went to bed at night. And I, I worked every day with him. And, and um, uh, this is a kid who would you know, put people in the hospital for him. He was a dangerous kid. And I had to figure out what to do with him all day, every day, by myself. And, and this was colorful. Um, and, and I, I hit upon this idea. I thought, you know, I wonder I should just play games with him. And, and so I, I, I brought in my Monopoly board, um, which is funny because this is this, you know, he's, he's a big scary kid who, you know, had, had you know, hurt staff, people, places he had, you know, lived at. And, and it turns out he had never played Monopoly before. Most of y'all, Monopoly, have we played Monopoly? I mean, <laughs> I remember as a kid we'd play it and we'd never finish the game because it was too stinking long. Um, and, and, and apparently, because it only takes like an hour to play it, so like an hour is way too long for a young kid to play. But we, we, I got this kid started. We'd sit down and we'd play Monopoly. And, and we'd play six or seven games a day. As soon as we started playing, he was all about it, right? Like he was excited. Because nobody ever played Monopoly with him before. <laughs> And, and so we would sit down and we'd play Monopoly, and I, I tarred him every time I played, right? And maybe, like, do you guys know, you know, maybe when you were kids and you played with your parents? Your parents, there was no beating them, right? Because there's a strategy that comes into Monopoly. I mean, and, and what's the strategy? Anybody know how you win at Monopoly? Boardwalk and Park Oh, see, that's one way to come at the game, is to... Is to hold on to your money until you have boardwalk and park place. Anybody have a disagreement about that being the way to win? Michael? Get a set, no matter what set. Yes, if you land on it, you buy it, right? Because you need to get as many monopolies as possible because the guy with the most monopolies is going to win. You listening? Because this is how you win this game. So so if you land on Baltic Avenue, which is like $6, it's the slum. But if you can put hotels on it, that hurts, right? And, and you buy, if you're there, you have to, you know, even if you have to put, put properties on lease, you know, like mortgage them to get money, you buy everything you come across. Because once those properties are sold, the game is over, right? It's going to go to the guy who's got the most property. That's how you win. And, and I remember I would play with him, and he, he boardwalk and park place. He read the cards, and he spent time thinking about it, and he said, no, I need boardwalk and park place. And once he got them, one time, I had every other monopoly on the board, but he had boardwalk and park things, and he put hotels on them. And I scouted him, and he scratched his head and said, I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. And after three or four days of this, he finally caught on that the trick was to buy. Just buy, 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 and accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And, and finally, we hit this point, he never beat me, by the way. I, I, I apparently am a master at board games, and I'm extremely competitive. Um, my wife is making faces and nodding at me. Um, <laughs> 
But, but I left my Monopoly set there, and all of a sudden, all these other kids are playing Monopoly together, and he started beating everybody because nobody else knew how to play Monopoly, right? <laughs> and he was the only one who figured it out. He's like 17, and he's excited to learn how to play Monopoly, right? I mean, that's crazy. But, you know, um, I remember I came in for my, my, you know, off a break, and he'd been playing with these guys, and, and he beat them, and he beat them bad. And he had hotels everywhere, and he had stacks of money, and... And, you know, it was time for them to go and be in their rooms for the staff meeting of the day. Like, you would have an afternoon meeting where you would change over staff. And he he, uh, he said, wait, you know, I, I, I don't want to put it away. You know, I, I won. I want this to be out a while. And it was. We didn't play Monopoly again for, like, two days. Why? Because we had to keep it there, right? Because he won. You know, because he had gotten everything. And when he got to the end of the game, he had everything. But eventually, right, I mean, anybody else do that when you win a Monopoly? Or like I used to play chess with my dad, and I think, I think he beat me probably 700 times in a row, and then he had like, like oral surgery, and he was taking medicine, and he had a glass of wine, and he could go and see straight, and I, I pulled out the win, you know? <laughs> and and I, I, I kept the chess set, you know, like, hold on, hold on, we're keeping it up, you know? Um, but at the end of it, right, like, like in all reasonable all reasonable ways of accounting things, when you're done with the game, what do you do? Put it away. Right? Like you spread the money back out to the bank, you put the hotels up, you don't get to keep the hotels unless it's your game, in which case it's still kind of silly. Look, I have all these hotels for my games last week. It, at the end of the game, right, it all goes back in the box. Um, this is the central principle behind what we're going to be talking about today, okay? Um, we're in Luke. Oh, look at that. I even had monopoly pictures. Um, <laughs> Um, the setting for the story, we're going to touch on this real quick. Um, the preceding verses for this particular section are about money and obeying God when it's tough, right? And the verses that follow it are about money. So if you want to go home and read it yourself, read all of chapter 12 and you'll see what I'm talking about. This is a chapter about money and possessions and about what really matters in life. Okay, in fact, actually, the verses that immediately precede this section talk about um, how people who follow Jesus will end up in front of judges. And, and at that point, you're going to have to make a decision what matters, right? Are you going to speak for God, or are you going to speak for yourself? And if you're going to speak for God, he'll put the words there. Anyway, um, Jesus is speaking to a first century Jewish crowd. I know this might be confusing, but it was in Israel, so they're all Jewish, and it was the first century, so they're first century Jews. Everybody with me? <laughs> um, the crowd was probably a mix. You probably had farmers, right? You probably had fishermen. You probably had people who raised sheep. You probably had people who, who were scholars, because you had a scholar class in this, in this country. But these folks were either laborers, right, or they were, or they were scholars. And scholars in the first century were, were next level. You treated them like royalty, right? If you, if you had a master's degree in theology, you were like king. Everybody got that? <laughs> <laughs> That, that was a great joke. How many people not laugh at that? Um, and the other thing is that, that most of them were poor, right? They had very high taxes. I know none of you know what that's like. Um, and, and so, like, the Roman government had their hand in the till. As soon as the sheep came in and the, the crops were done, they were, they were hand in the till and collecting, right? So, like, like, most of them were poor. They didn't take a lot in. And they kind of lived subsistence lifestyles, meaning they ate what they had, and what they sold they used to buy more stuff. These were poor, poor people, except for the scholars, um, who were, you know, more wealthy, whether that's right or not, you know, it was one way or the other. But, but this is the crowd he's talking to, 
And this is important because it's sort of a weird story. Um, Luke 12, 13 to 14. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Um, so we're going to pause there for a second. He, he says, hey, hey, tell my brother he needs to split up the inheritance with me. This sounds like a kid coming to mom, right? Mom, he's not sharing! Um, there were laws in ancient Israel about how inheritance were to be split up. And so, like, if this guy had um, split up the inheritance appropriately, um, you couldn't go to court and have it divided, right? And so this guy, probably there was an even distribution. That's probably not the case that he was cheated, or he wouldn't be asking a popular teacher to intervene for it. He would go to the court, right? Everybody makes sense. I mean, sometimes families fight over inheritance. I know it's hard to believe. Um, it can be really unpleasant, but, but you know, this, this sort of thing happens. And these guys had said, I know what is owed to me, and I got it, but I want more. And I want you to make it happen. Right? So this guy approaches Jesus. Jesus is talking about money. He says, hey, this fits. I should ask, you know. And he asks. The problem is he's kind of missing the point. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Jesus responds. But he said to him, man who opposed me, a judge or arbiter over you. Um, I know it's a little chunk, but we're going to... The previous teaching talked about being brought before rulers of Christ's account, meaning like, like this interruption, it seems like it fits, but it doesn't fit, right? This guy is forcing his opinion into the situation or forcing his need on the conversation. Anybody ever do that where you hear something that's not being said because it's what you want? I mean, I do it all the time, so I'm just saying. But this is what he's doing. He's forcing his opinion. He's not interested in what Jesus is teaching. He's interested in what he wants. And what he wants is either money or position. Because he might want to be higher up in the family hierarchy. Maybe he wants to run the local farm. Maybe he wants to be the guy who gets to drive the combine or whatever. There were combines back then. Um, you know, whatever it is, he, he wants more of it. And he's not listening because Jesus is saying, following me is going to cost you. Right? Following me may mean you'll end up in court on charges for believing in me. You know, this is not going to be easy. And the guy raises his hand, wait, I want some more. Well, he's missing the point. Uh, he's more concerned about his own wealth or influence than he is about God's kingdom. Um, it's probably an attempt to get more. Um, and, and Jesus, his response isn't, hey, who made me the judge over you? What he's saying is, I'm here for a purpose. And that purpose isn't to settle your need. Does that make sense? Jesus had come to introduce God's kingdom. Jesus had come to bear our sins on the cross. Jesus had come to build a bridge between God and, and man, right? To save us from our sins. Um, these are the things that Jesus was there for. Jesus was not there to get this guy rich. I know it's hard to believe, like you listen to some folks preach. You know, folks, you know, turn on the TV or pick up a popular bestseller book, and you're going to read, God is here to give you money. I mean, you guys maybe come across that? You know, or God is here to give you your best life now. Not to pick out anybody in particular, I'm just saying. Um, but Jesus said, hey, you're missing the point. I'm not here for your wealth. Um, he goes on, he says, Then he said to him, Beware, be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does one die. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. This is a hard passage. I had to read it like eight times at home when I was studying this. He says, listen, don't be greedy, because even if you have everything, your life isn't what you have, right? What you have is not your life. 
You know, and, and I, I think there's this great illustration in our culture. Um, you know, we have these, these celebrities. You guys maybe have heard about this. These people have more money than, you know, than the Vatican. You know, they've just got money falling on them. And they, they just can't seem to be happy. You know, they're divorced every other week and then rehab twice a month. And, and, you know, everybody loves them. And yet they can't seem to find anybody who will love them for more than 15 minutes in a row. You know, because they're going to get divorced then. And, 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 you know, your possessions, the stuff you have, ain't going to make you happy. Your life is not about what you have. And this extends beyond money. This is position. This is everybody else's opinion of you. This is um, your house, your, your everything. Everything you can have, your life is more than that. Whether well, you have a lot of it or a little. Like, like, real life isn't about this stuff. It's not about the stuff we're experiencing now. Um, real life is about something more. Um, and we're going to get to that in a second. But everybody with me, and I still have... All right. Um, the problem with the guy is he's greedy. He wants stuff. Life is more than possessions. And actually, this is a common theme in Jesus' teaching. We see uh, Matthew 4.4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, right? But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, he says, what is a prophet of man is gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Like he, this is a common theme in Jesus' teaching, right? What you have and the food you eat and the stuff around you isn't what wins, right? You may get to the end of the game, and you may have boardwalk and park place, and you may have hotels on them and bargain gardens and everything else. You may have this stuff. You, know, you, may, you may be living the dream. But what happens when the game is over? You pack it up, right? It's just a game at that point. Our lives are temporary. You and I, we're not going to live forever. Well, we are going to live forever, but in our current form, in our current life, we're not going to live forever, right? I'm going to die one day. And most of you are. I know it's a shock. There's a 100% mortality rate right now. <laughs> one day they'll fix that. Um, and what we have isn't the scorecard for life, right? Um, Jesus goes on, Luke 12, 16 to 17. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. All right, so this guy's farming, and he has a good year. Does that happen around here often? Does that happen in this year so far, by the way? <laughs> it rained a lot, and he was having a, like an awesome year. And he's accumulating, and he's like, This is phenomenal. Look at how much stuff I'm, you know, crops I'm going to have. This is going to be the best year ever. Um, so he introduces the farmer. He's having a great year. He asks himself what he's going to do with his windfall. This is not wrong, right? Have any of you guys ever been in a position where you have a lot extra and you say, what am I going to do with it? I was with uh, one family this last year during harvest, and they ran out of room in their bins. <laughs> so what do we do with it? You know, when they had to like, run around and find more bins to store their grain in because they just had too much when it came out, right? Um, and it's not a wrong question. He has several options at this point, as I figure it, right? He can sell right away, right? He can store. And in this culture, by the way, you can store grain forever in this environment. Um, in Masada, which was an ancient Jewish um, like fortress on a mountain, um, there, was, there was grain that they had in jars stored in storerooms that they found about 10 years ago, and it was still edible. Like, it was dry. There and so stuff didn't go bad. It just lasted forever and ever and ever. I don't know if anybody ate it. I mean, the Twinkie wrapper or something it looked pretty normal. Then. But, but this guy, he could store his grain until he died if he really wanted. This wasn't an option for him, right? He could store. He could 
the other thing you can do is you can take care of the people around him, right? Because this is still a, subsist a subsistence farming world. So there are people around him who starved to death. That happened back then. It really did. People around him, like, like even farmers, the taxes were so heavy that they were crushed by it. Um, and so he could reasonably use the money to help people. So he's got these options. Right? Here are my options. Um, and he says, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, so what's his decision? I'm going to build bigger barns. Isn't that a great spot to be in? How many of you guys like have ever been in a spot where you're like, man, I need a bigger barn today. Let's do it. <laughs> And, and he didn't just build more, because unlike Montana, where the land is huge, right, you're a little more limited. And so if you put up more barns, like around the old barns or the old silos or whatever, um, it would take up, like, farming land, and he didn't want to do that. Because he's got to keep every little bit just in case, even though suddenly he's incredibly wealthy. Um, and he says, well, I'll put up more, we'll hold on to it, and I'll be rich forever. Um, so part of what he's doing here, right? Like, first off, building bigger barns to store your grain was almost unheard of in that world. Like, for Jesus to tell this part of the story, the people suddenly be like, what? <laughs> he's doing what now? Because you just didn't do it. Because people starved to death. Like, it was a hard world to live in. Like, you just didn't do this. Um, and the fact that he's talking about it is, is almost crazy. And actually, for some folks, it would be offensive. I mean, I know that's a little out of context for our world. We live in a very different setting. But in this world, Jesus is teaching people who are probably half-starved. And he says, then I'm going to store my grain and I'm going to be rich forever. What? You're going to do what now? Um, and the problem, again, isn't the question, nor is it the answer. Right? The problem is his motive. What does he say? He says, I'll eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm set. This is it. I've got Boardwalk and Park Place, and you're right in line to land on them, and I'm not with it. And I'm going to enjoy myself. Um, his motive was wealth and comfort. He was greedy. Um, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this is sort of another cultural one, right? Eat, drink, and be merry was, was um, a line from a philosopher. The, the hedonists. I know we know hedonism, right? This is an ancient Greek way of thinking that said, the most important thing for you to do in life is enjoy yourself. Your happiness is the number one priority. And if you can be happy, if you can enjoy, if you can have everything you ever wanted, your life is good. Right? I got my big screen TV and my new car and everything else. If you can have this, this is the, this is the goal. You know, and, and do whatever you have to do to get there. Hedonism. And, and people would know this line. This was, um, there were a lot of Greek folks that lived around the Jews. They had like been run over several times and people had moved into the neighborhood. And the Jews knew this one. So Jesus pulls this line out in a way that people would recognize, right? People would say, oh, yeah, he's going to be a hedonist. He's going to, like, the primary aim in life is joy and enjoyment. Um, it keeps going. Luke 12, 21, or 20 to 21, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Um, so the the game ends for him, right? He has it all, and then it's over. Probably didn't even have time to build his barns, right? He has no monuments to how awesome his crops were. That's it. You know, the farmer, 
that's it. The game goes back in the box, it's over. And he had all the pieces and all the, all the Monopoly money and everything else, and it didn't mean anything. Because in the end, like all of us are going to face that, right? You, me, everyone. It all goes in the box at the end. And the wealth we have is the wealth that's going to determine how things are on the other side. That's the determiner in life. We may win by this hedonistic standpoint, but we don't take any of it with us. Um, he was rich by the world's standards, but poor by God's standards. Um, what this is talking about is the world looks and says, you have a nice car, you have these things, you are wealthy, you win. But by God's standards, he had nothing because he really didn't care anything about God, right? Like, never in his mind, never in his thought process does he say, I can help other people, right? Never in his thought process does he say, look what God has given me. I'm in a place of blessing. In fact, actually, he was probably a pretty shrewd businessman, right? Like, if there's a really great crop, like, there's going to be a pretty good crop this year, probably, right? Barring some crazy disaster. I mean, this is going to be a good year. Our grain price is going to be high or low if there's a lot of extra grain around. Probably kind of low, right? So he's going to store it and sell it later. So he's even making a great decision business-wise. But it doesn't amount to anything. Um, by the world standard, he's even, like, brilliant. Um, he doesn't care about other people. He doesn't care about God. He's, he's accumulating for himself, and in the end, he's like nothing. Um, because what he worshipped wasn't God, right? The central message behind this, um, I'm sort of working, working on a theme here for the last few sermons, um, is when we worship things that aren't God, we end up with nothing. Um, we may have it for a while. We may enjoy it for a while. We may be comfortable for a little while. But when I worship stuff, at the end, it goes back into the box. Or worse yet, I break it and it didn't go with me. <laughs> which is which is all kinds of wonderful. You get the new car and you know a year later it's not as new and it's not as fun and you need something else. Because time doesn't let us keep things. Um, how does this apply to our lives? What do we do with this? Well, first off, um, the wealth we accumulate is a product of our pursuit in life, right? Like if I pursue God, if I follow God's command, if I love my neighbor as myself, if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, if I use my, my giftedness to, to pursue that, you know, my time, treasure, and talent, if I use those things to pursue God's best end for me, I'm going to be wealthy in God, but I may not have a lot, a lot when I get to the end. Um, I, I've actually heard this about people in this community who passed away and are long gone, and folks will say, yeah, he lived in the smallest house, and he didn't have anything, and you know, but, but I don't know anybody he didn't buy a meal for. Or I didn't know anybody he didn't slip a few dollars for when he needed help. And people don't remember how, how great his stuff was. They don't remember how much of a blessing he was to the people around him. Um, they remember, yeah, he told everyone about Jesus that he came here because that's what mattered to him. Our time, treasure, and talent are allotted to us, and we do what we do with them. Um, and what we pursue, what matters to us most, is where that's going to go. Um, before moving to, to Montana, I had this horrible moment where a horrible moment. It was, it was this moment of realization, which is sometimes horrible, um, where I, I realized I was spending more time with other people's kids than my own. And I said, no, can't do that. My family is, is what God has given me. I'm entrusted. It's important. I'm responsible for this. This is what God has put on me, and I have to do this. And, and part of Montana is family, right? Um, what we pursue is what we're going to get paid out on. In Christ, we become acceptable to God. That's the only thing that makes us acceptable to God.
God, right? And so when we pursue Christ, when we pursue a deeper, more intimate relationship with Christ, when we um, live in Him in a way that saves us, um, and that's faith in Him, and then obedience just teaching, by the way, I don't want to make that sound like something wasn't. Um, when we live in Christ in a way that saves us, um, that's the pursuit that matters. Because everything else doesn't go with us. Does that make sense? That's, you know, build up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy them. Well, if the streets are paved with gold in heaven and there's like, you know, crystal and diamonds and everything everywhere, how much value does that stuff have? Well, if there's a lot of it and they put it under your feet to walk on, it's not very valuable, right? Because the real treasure of heaven is intimacy with God. Um, and that's what we need to pursue. That's what Christ is teaching here. He's saying, look, the stuff we worship sometimes, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. What really matters is like this eternal treasure. Um, this is comparable to like intimacy and relationships. I'm gonna my last thing I'm gonna talk about here, and then we're gonna pull it up here. Um, my my wife and I love her very much, right? I can invest in that, or I cannot, right? And we, it's, there's a lot of married people here. I mean, how many of y'all have had times where you just didn't invest in your marriage? You know, where it was like I got other things to do, and we're not gonna date. We probably won't talk as much, or I'm really tired from work, so we're not gonna talk. We're gonna watch TV today. Or, you know, like we make these decisions and we build up our wealth in certain areas. Um, and sometimes that's work. I need to build up my work stuff. You know, i got to build up here. But we sacrifice on the intimacy that we could have. This is, you know, directly parallels to this. I can have everything, but I can sacrifice my relationship with God to have it. And ultimately it's not worth it. Ultimately it's more expensive than anything you can give up. My challenge for you today, <laughs> my challenge for you today, um, as you go out of here, is to ask yourself, what motivates me? What am I chasing after? What is the most important thing on my plate? Is it, is it my stuff? Is it my comfort? Is it my entertainment? Um, is it the new novelty of the next thing? Is it how awesome I look every day when I get up and look in the mirror? Um, I know it's hard to, for, to hear me say that, but... <laughs> is it is it other people's opinion on me? For some folks, it's sex. You know, that's the most important thing in the world. Are these the things that dominate my life? And if it's not something that's God, right? If it's not something that can't be taken away from you on a whim, it's something that you're wasting your time on because at the end of your life, at the end of the day, we're just gonna pack it up and put it on a shelf. It's too long to forget that it happened. Except me, because if I do it again, I'm gonna remember five years later to write a sermon. Um, <laughs> um, we're going to close in prayer and do we have one more song? Okay. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, move in our lives and help us to be focused on you. And help us to recognize that, that the real riches that we can have, the real blessing that we can have, the real accumulation that we can have in life uh, that matters is in you. It's in your son. It's in the blessing that we bring to the, our neighbors. It's, it's being in a reflection of your glory. I pray that you would pour your spirit on us and help us to to live faithfully.